Merry Christmas, everyone. I hope you have been enjoying these Christmas stories as much as I've been enjoying reading them for you. This will be either the last or the second to last story that I will be posting in the year 2023. What started out last year as a little project just to share stories with some friends and family and my congregation here at the church has amazed me as I've found that thousands of people in every state in the United States and in many countries have found these stories, and I haven't even advertised them. And so I've been inspired that in the next year, I will be recording throughout the year more Christmas stories. There are many more great stories that I have to choose from. For the most part, I have tried to do these stories at no expense to anybody else, and especially without any advertising needed uh, sponsorships or anything, except I did have for the extra long version of the Christmas Carol. Um, But I would like to continue to provide these for everybody to listen to for free. And if you think that would be a good idea for me to record many more stories that will be available to you next Christmas, I would ask if you'd consider clicking on that support the show link in the show notes. Consider helping me out a little bit with the expense of uploading these. And I appreciate that if you're able to do it. But now let's get back to the purpose of being here. So gather the family and enjoy this Christmas story. A Christmas Dinner by Charles Dickens Christmas Time That man must be a misanthrope indeed, in whose breast something like a jovial feeling is not roused, in whose mind some pleasant associations are not awakened by the recurrence of Christmas. There are people who will tell you that Christmas is not to them what it used to be, that each succeeding Christmas has found some cherished hope or happy prospect of the year before, dimmed or passed away, that the present only serves to remind them of reduced circumstances and straightened incomes, of the feasts they once bestowed on hollow friends, and of the cold looks that meet them now in adversity and misfortune. Never heed such dismal reminiscences. There are few men who have lived long enough in the world who cannot call up such thoughts any day in the year. Then do not select the merriest of the 365 for your doleful recollections, but draw your chair nearer the blazing fire, fill the glass, and send round the song, and if your room be smaller than it was a dozen years ago, or if your glass be filled with reeking punch instead of sparkling wine, put a good face on the matter, and empty it offhand, and fill another, and troll off the old ditty you used to sing, and thank God it's no worse. Look on the merry faces of your children, if you have any, as they sit round the fire. One little seat may be empty, one slight form that gladdened the father's heart and roused the mother's pride to look upon may not be there. Dwell not upon the past. Think not that one short year ago the fair child now resolving into dust sat before you with the bloom of health upon its cheek and the gaiety of infancy in its joyous eye. Reflect upon your present blessings of which every man has many, not on your past misfortunes, of which all men have some. Fill your glass again with a merry face and contented heart. Our life on it, but your Christmas shall be merry, 
and your new year a happy one. Who can be insensible to the outpourings of good feeling and the honest interchange of affectionate attachment which abound at this season of the year? A Christmas family party. We knew nothing in nature more delightful. There seems a magic in the very name of Christmas. Petty jealousies and discords are forgotten. Social feelings are awakened. In bosoms to which they have long been strangers, father and son, or brother and sister, who have met and passed with averted gaze or a look of cold recognition for months before, proffer and return the cordial embrace and bury their past animosities in their present happiness. Kindly hearts that have yearned towards each other but have been withheld by false notions of pride and self-dignity are again reunited, and all is kindness and benevolence. Would that Christmas lasted the whole year through, as it ought, and that the prejudices and passions which deform our better nature were never called into action among those to whom they should ever be strangers. The Christmas family party that we mean is not a mere assemblage of relations, got up at a week or two's notice, originating this year, having no family precedent in the last, and not likely to be repeated in the next. No. It is an annual gathering of all the accessible members of the family, young or old, rich or poor, and all the children look forward to it, for two months beforehand, in a fever of anticipation. Formerly, it was held at Grandpapa's, but Grandpapa getting old, and Grandmama getting old too, and rather infirm, they have given up housekeeping and domesticated themselves with Uncle George, so the party always takes place at Uncle George's house. But Grandmama sends in most of the good things, and Grandpapa always will toddle down all the way to Newgate Market to buy the turkey, which he engages a porter to bring home behind him in triumph always insisting on the man's being rewarded with a glass of spirits over and above his hire to drink a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to Aunt George. As to Grandmama, she is very secret and mysterious for two or three days beforehand, but not sufficiently so as to prevent rumors getting afloat that she has purchased a beautiful new cap with pink ribbons for each of the servants, together with sundry books and pen knives and pencil cases for the younger branches, to say nothing of diverse secret additions to the order originally given by Aunt George at the pastry cooks, such as another dozen of mince pies for the dinner and a large plum cake for the children. On Christmas Eve, Grandmama is always in excellent spirits, and after employing all the children during the day in stoning the plums and all that, insists regularly every year on Uncle George coming down into the kitchen, taking off his coat, and stirring the pudding for half an hour or so which Uncle George good-humoredly does to the vociferous delight of the children and servants. The evening concludes with the glorious game of blind man's buff, in an early stage of which Grandpapa takes great care to be caught, in order that he may have an opportunity of displaying his dexterity. On the following morning, the old couple, with as many of the children as the pew will hold, go to church in great state leaving Aunt George at home dusting decanters and filling casters, and Uncle George carrying bottles into the dining parlor and calling for corkscrews and getting into everybody's way. When the church party returns to lunch, Grandpapa produces a small sprig of mistletoe from his pocket and tempts the boys to kiss their little cousins under it, a proceeding which affords both the boys and the old gentleman unlimited satisfaction, but which rather outrages Grandmama's ideas of decorum. 
until Grandpapa says that when he was just 13 years and three months old, he kissed Grandmama under a mistletoe too, on which the children clap their hands and laugh very heartily, as do Aunt George and Uncle George, and Grandmama looks pleased and says, with a benevolent smile, that Grandpapa was an impudent young dog, on which the children laugh very heartily again, and Grandpapa more heartily than any of them. But all these diversions are nothing to the subsequent excitement when Grandmama in a high cap and slate-colored silk gown, and Grandpapa with a beautifully plated shirt frill and white neckerchief, seat themselves on one side of the drawing-room fire, with Uncle George's children and little cousins innumerable, seated in the front, waiting the arrival of the expected visitors. Suddenly, a hackney coach is heard to stop, and Uncle George, who has been looking out of the window, exclaims, Here's Jane! On which the children rush to the door, and helter-skelter downstairs, and Uncle Robert and Aunt Jane, and the dear little baby and the nurse and the whole party are ushered upstairs amidst tumultuous shouts of, Oh my! from the children, and frequently repeated warnings not to hurt baby from the nurse. And Grandpapa takes the child, and Grandmama kisses her daughter, and the confusion of this first entry has scarcely subsided when some other aunts and uncles with more cousins arrive, and the grown-up cousins flirt with each other, and so do the little cousins too, for that matter, and nothing is to be heard but a confused din of talking, laughing, and merriment. A hesitating double knock at the street door, heard during a momentary pause in the conversation, excites a general inquiry of who's that, and two or three children, who have been standing at the window, announce in a low voice that it's poor Aunt Margaret, upon which Aunt George leaves the room to welcome the newcomer, and Grandmama draws herself up rather stiff and stately, for Margaret married a poor man without her consent, and poverty not being a sufficiently weighty punishment for her offense, has been discarded by her friends and disbarred the society of her nearest relatives. But Christmas has come round, and the unkind feelings that have struggled against better dispositions during the year have melted away before its genial influence, like half-formed ice beneath the morning sun. It is not difficult, in a moment of angry feeling, for a parent to denounce a disobedient child, but to banish her at a period of general goodwill and hilarity from the hearth round which she has sat on so many anniversaries of the same day, expanding by slow degrees from infancy to girlhood, and then bursting almost imperceptibly into a woman, is widely different. The air of conscious rectitude, the cold forgiveness which the old lady had assumed, sits ill upon her. And when the poor girl is led in by her sister, pale in looks and broken in hope, not from poverty, for that she could bear, but from the consciousness of undeserved neglect and unmerited unkindness, it is easy to see how much of it is assumed. A momentary pause succeeds. The girl breaks suddenly from her sister and throws herself sobbing on her mother's neck. The father steps hastily forward and takes her husband's hand. Friends crowd round to offer their hearty congratulations and happiness and harmony again prevail. As to the dinner, it's perfectly delightful. Nothing goes wrong, and everybody is in the very best of spirits, and disposed to please and be pleased. Grandpapa relates a circumstantial account of the purchase of the turkey, with a slight digression relative to the purchase of previous turkeys on former Christmas days, which Grandmama corroborates in the minutest particular. 
Uncle George tells stories and carves poultry and takes wine and jokes with the children at the side table and winks at the cousins who are flirting or being flirted with and exhilarates everybody with his good humor and hospitality. And when at last a stout servant staggers in with a gigantic pudding with a sprig of holly on the top, there is such laughing and shouting and clapping of little chubby hands and kicking up of fat dumpy legs as can only be quelled by the applause with which the astonishing feat of pouring lighted brandy into mince pies is received by the younger visitors. Then the dessert and the wine and the fun, such beautiful speeches and such songs from Aunt Margaret's husband, who turns out to be such a nice man and so attentive to Grandmama. Even Grandpapa not only sings his annual song with unprecedented vigor, but on being honored with a unanimous encore, according to annual custom, actually comes out with a new one which nobody but Grandmama ever heard before, and a young scapegrace of a cousin, who has been in some disgrace with the old people for certain heinous sins of omission and commission, neglecting to call and persisting in drinking Burton Ale, astonishes everybody into convulsions of laughter by volunteering the most extraordinary comic songs that ever were heard. And thus the evening passes, in a strain of rational goodwill and cheerfulness, doing more to awaken the sympathies of every member of the party in behalf of his neighbor, and to perpetuate their good feeling upon the ensuing year, than half the homilies that have ever been written by half the divines that have ever lived. The end. Yeah.